back this is episode 27 of collapse talk and you're listening to gabriel and uh, i'm hoping that y'all are staying warm in this cold wintry february uh with this cold snap and uh i know i'm you know bundled up if you'd see me right now i'm kind of like just covered in layers so it's kind of why i like doing uh audio because at least i can just look however i want and just record from there but yeah, I just wanted to release something right now, especially since they've uh, finally uh, finished with the second impeachment trial and Trump is acquitted. I barely, honestly, I, I barely kept up with it because uh, it was just, I mean, well, I mean, yeah, it, it wasn't really much. And of course, we see the payoff. So I wasn't really invested in it. And yeah, it's uh, quite predictable, actually. All of this is just predictable. And so now we're going back right to normal business and uh, we'll see if they actually move ahead now since this whole impeachment show is over uh, with some real real relief with uh, stimulus checks. And, but we can talk about that later on. But yeah, I mean, this is kind of the Valentine's weekend. So, you know, I'm guessing people are gearing up to treat their special loved ones. You know, yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's honestly just a marketing scheme. You should be treating your people, your loved ones. Uh, good just you know unconditionally but then again it's still nice to you know treat whenever the day arrives or whoever yeah again i'm an insult so yeah that whole dating scene isn't exactly my strong suit but you know i didn't really want to talk about that but i it's you know been a week since the super bowl event and uh, yeah a lot has been happening in the last couple of weeks so i just want to talk about that at least in concerns to the Super Bowl, because I didn't really watch that either, uh, but I have seen like the memes and the Twitter, uh, you know, posts, especially with the halftime show with the weekend. But I also found it interesting, just the whole like complete disregard for the pandemic. I mean, if you just like watch that in the vacuum, like it would just be a normal Super Bowl event, and you know, not one that's in a once in a generation pandemic. That's, you know, basically at the height still. We're still in the height of it. And I'm just curious to see how uh, rates um, continue. I'm guessing this is a bit of a super spreader event, not just at that specific stadium. I, I, like, I, I was, I'm so out of the loop. I didn't watch it. I don't even know where they played it. But yeah, the, the, you have the Super Bowl event, the physical event, and then people also just getting together imparting having their own little super bowls and you know probably still having the regular like finger food stuff you know dip <clears throat> yeah yeah so we'll see how uh this super bowl has affected the covid rates and infections uh, especially with this new uk variant um although the vaccine does cover it or supposedly that's what they're saying so yeah we'll talk about that about that as we elaborate with the show but it's just a lot to cover and with this show of course we divide our segments I mean, this is kind of more of the opening bit but we have more segments uh dividing really between the domestic international and the natural world because collapse is more all-encompassing 
So there's many different areas of collapse that we can talk on. And of course, there's going to be things that I miss because there's just so many things that are evolving. And this is happening in real time. So, yeah. At the very least, before I dive into the broader domestic field, I wanted to talk about like a specific incident that I'm sure some people have watched uh, or at least, you know, seen. And it concerns this uh, clip with this shooting in Pennsylvania. So you might know what I'm talking about. This uh, suburban, basically just uh, breakdown of this, uh, you know, man living on his own and his neighbors harassing him over shoveling of snow and he gets, he reaches his breaking point, comes out and just shoots him in the street, executes them. It's a pretty wild uh, video. And if you listen to Tim Dillon and, and sure people have different thoughts of him i certainly like to listen to him uh he has his you know from his last episode just a great opening bit i mean like it's literally like probably one of the best uh opening bits or just just a bit in general of any like comedy podcast that i've certainly listened to and i think it's going to be one of his most iconic like just bits but i just he, he talks about how people are just on edge and yeah, people are just at their breaking point. You don't know where the breaking point is, but you know, apparently uh, shoveling snow into someone's driveway and just shouting them, uh, shouting at them and saying, we're going to mess with you. You know, we're going to do pussy. Yeah. That's enough to get somebody to come out and execute you and your wife in front of their child. And just, uh, yeah, it's crazy. People are on edge, but if you you know that's to me just speaks as to another reason of not living in the suburbs because I can't I yeah I can't imagine how more uh, mentally strained people are going to be down the line and just having to deal with neighborhood politics it's crazy like dealing with HOA and yeah so you know as, certainly as urban collapse and decline you know becomes uh, more degraded it's certainly going to be the strain on these suburban areas and not just that like middle class stagnation all these different things i mean this is all this uh mental health uh mass hysteria if you want to call it because i think this country and our society in general is just ex experiencing mass hysteria we just don't know yet uh it, it's primarily a product of this capitalist uh, you know profit over everything mentality uh but yeah so you know, I'm certainly not qualified to go examine just the sociological uh, implications of that, but it certainly has a connection. At the very least, though, you know, speaking to this uh, capitalist, you know, mindset, we can look at, you know, the recent weeks of activity in the stock market, right, with Wall Street bets and their campaign with GameStop and the AMC. And the whole short selling, yeah. I'm, I'm sure now everybody's been acquainted about the situation. It's just nice to see finally people are taking the stand and fighting back. Because this is basically the best way we can do it. Because when I look at, and you know, again, when I've criticized these uh, riots, not the protests, the BLM protests are connected with the riots. But, you know, they're it's the same environment, unfortunately. And... 
It's counterproductive because, of course, the media just focuses on the fires and the chaos and the destruction. And then public opinion is against the movement and, in an extent, the policies that the movement pushes. Um, but, you know, for the people on the ground, they see it as, oh, this is our way of fighting back. We have to burn down whatever, cause chaos, you know, just to disrupt things. Instead, you have something like Wall Street Bets where they're actually hitting hitting these elites where it hurts where you know and not just that they're playing the game like the, the way they play it so it really shows to the fact that we have real power and that's why you saw a lot of these different pundits and different you know those wall street guys i, I don't even watch those cha- uh, shows those pundits but yeah they're, they're all like coming out now and they're like Having just a, a meltdown. I mean, you can tell that they're pissed off that they're losing money and these fucking peasants are, you know, they're acting out of line and, you know, they're taking serious considerations of Robin Hood and, oh, maybe there's an, in, maybe there should be an income threshold. And yeah, so, so much. It, it really highlighted, obviously, what we know, but it, it just made it obvious to the world that this is just a scam. Like, this, like these guys are full of shit. They don't know what they're talking about either. And yeah, nobody knows that it's all fake money with the whole stock market. It's fake money. Um, but yeah, but of course we have the, uh, the wall street bets, basically the front lines of the class war now. Uh, and now people are playing the stock market, which is, I guess a good thing. You know, people need to make money and, uh, invest and just watch it grow. We'll see. Um, again, I, I certainly hope that there isn't some kind of bubble burst although it is inevitable and we have of course the fed printing out money and you know we have concerns of hyperinflation all that stuff i'm just curious though how that's going to be paired with all this cryptocurrency as well of course everybody now is playing dogecoin and i've bought into dogecoin as well yeah and i'm going to hold because if i've done my math right i could walk away with a lot even if even if i'm off by like 0.0 milliseconds whatever i could still walk away with enough to like pay off my debts and like really like set myself up for success so just it's just the math i have to do make my math right but you know buying those tips and holding and uh, waiting and i just have to be patient because i keep checking the app and i'm like where is it at now but i'm just like it's not gonna j- jump to a dollar in the course of hours but you know then again people sleep on it and then you know you see some serious movements so yeah again i just gotta learn to be patient and uh you know just keep you know watching it i mean i've basically like it's just planting these seeds and just uh waiting it for for it to grow and yeah because you know everything that they're saying now about dogecoin they're saying about Bitcoin. Like I remember all the talks about Bitcoin. Like ah, it's you know, nothing. And look at it now, you know. So yeah, and of course people are also pointing to Elon Musk, you know, saying that he's just doing it. For, he's doing it for profit. Or of course, yeah, yeah, of course he's pumping and dumping it. All these different uh, big fish, big wallet people. Of course they're pumping it and dumping it, but ultimately they still want it to rise. Because the thing with Bitcoin is that. It's already like over 40,000. So 
even though they ha- might have millions and that still might not be much like that's nothing you know 40,000 is nothing it's still dogecoin is still exponentially uh going to yield a far greater profit if it hits one dollar compared to bitcoin so yeah again i i don't know much i'm just like i'm talking out of my ass and of course that's the whole point of this show i'm just been talking out of my ass but you know i'm just trying to make these observations do my research and just you know playing because what do i have to lose i mean i'm pretty fucked anyway so might as well play and uh yeah I mean, like this could, if you know, if it pays off, I can really actually start, you know, forging a path. And I have all these dreams and these plans that if, you know, it pays off, I could actually, like, it's actually tangible. That's what I'm trying to say. So, again, it's not just me that's also in this position of wanting Dogecoin to, you know, rise. But, you know, it's just, you know, nothing would make me happier to beat the system by playing it, right? And this is what Dogecoin is about. You know, we're playing the system like they want us to, all right? So, but, you know, then again, it's risk and reward and all sorts of uh, calculations to make because it's all chance and it's all fate, I guess, and luck and patience. But we'll see. You know, I'm also trying to diversify my portfolio looking at other cryptocurrencies to at least, you know, soften the blow. But, you know, it's just, even though I talk about, like, the worst possible case, like Mad Max scenarios, I just might as well plan for maybe some semblance of technical civilization. Who knows? Maybe I could make a little spot in the cyberpunk uh, dystopia. You know, that that's what I basically you know, have to plan out for i mean because this essentially if it works out well could be my retirement because i know i'm not getting any social security that's for sure so yeah but you know as we have cryptocurrency and the stock market it's um curious also about or i'm curious also about you know questions of hyperinflation because as i said or you know as has been shown the, the fed is just been pumping out cash and just a crazy amount. And so, of course, hyperinflation is bound to hit us. Or at least that's what many are concerned about. At least I've been reading from Yahoo Finance. And they're effectively saying that we'll see some inflation. Um, and it may affect just pricings. Uh, so, we'll have to see. Again, I really I know little about like monetary policy and yeah, all this stuff. So, it's mumble jumbo. But... It's still something to examine and at least to plan out for, so we might as well you know, read into it. But uh, reading from Yahoo Finance, it says, quote, The United States hasn't seen significant inflation in almost 40 years. That may change soon. Thanks to a massive federal deficit, pent-up demand when quarantine restrictions are released, and a shift in Federal Reserve monetary policy. Last week, Bill Dudley, the former president of the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, made ways with his column, Five Reasons to Worry About Faster U.S. Inflation. Uh, for Bloomberg, on Monday, however, two of the publication's economic reporters called 2021 inflation a mirage. What exactly is inflation anyway? And do you really need to worry about it or not? Uh, let me read further. Uh, inflation is an increase in price levels. Inflation is the opposite of deflation, which is the decrease in prices. And of course, everybody knows that. Uh, let me just read a little bit further. 
Well, uh, okay. So um, in 2021, however, as Reed Pickert and Vince Goal explained in at Bloomberg, in 2021, however, as Reed Pickert and Vince Goal explained at Bloomberg, Americans are likely to see price jumps uh, across a variety of sectors next year, thanks in part uh, to COVID-19 vaccines that will potentially turbocharge demand for such pandemic casualties as travel and tickets to sporting events. A moderate level of inflation occurs naturally in growing economies. Hyperinflation, which is usually defined as inflation above 50%, is destructive to an economy. In recent years, hyperinflation has destroyed the economies of Zimbabwe, Venezuela, and Argentina. The nature of the inflation being discussed to the, uh, for the United States in 2021 is 2-4%. to 4%. Uh, nowhere near the 438 rate predicted for Venezuela for 2021. Some people hear the word inflation and panic, but there's no need for that. And according to Picurt and Goal, one critical ingredient will be missing to sustain higher inflation, a tight labor market. Wages are likely to stay low, which will keep pressure prices too. Inflation can stimulate parts of the economy, as with most things, especially when it comes to finance, Inflation is good for some people and not for others. Moderate inflation has plenty of economic benefits. Higher prices encourage businesses to invest and expand. Interest rates go up, so banks start paying interest, checking accounts again, and higher wages, will, which will indeed come to certain sectors of the labor market, will give workers an incentive to spend money. So just, you know, again, you know, pointing towards the different effects of inflation and they're saying it will be at least a small increase and also just talking about raising wages, which will allow workers to spend more. So, yeah, I mean, it's just natural for the inflation to occur and the cost of living to go up. It's just wages have been stagnant since the 80s. So that's why people are really pushing for a $15 minimum wage. But that minimum wage is going to come in 2025. So, yeah, I mean, I understand there, you know, you can't just like do it overnight, but still like, you know, we, we can't just wait till four years. Besides, that's the next, that's that's after the next election. So that's essentially them saying, yeah, we're going to get it again. So who cares? Yeah, we're going to do 2025. That's how I at least perceive that. So, yeah, so we'll have to see what the inflation and just keeping up with it. But, you know, we're having to deal with that. The the spending of certain prices, food, essentially, uh, will probably go up. Yeah, just hyperinflation in general. But we also have to see with uh, other proposals about the stimulus checks right that well it's supposed to be 2000 but then of course they this is what i keep saying about the democrats they're gonna find a way to weasel out so they they were saying 2000 immediately uh especially with the georgia election and now they're back paddling off of that and they're saying oh even bernie sanders like this is what i'm trying to say like the democrats will never be a vessel for true socialism that they are just playing along. Okay, all right, fourteen hundred. I mean, of course, any any check at this point would help, but it's it, they're just delusional. They're so disconnected. 
They have, they really have no idea how people are struggling. Like what that will last at best a month and then they're going to need it again. Like it's just, it's unbelievable. It's, it's unbelievable. It's just anyway, cause I'm, I don't want to get too worked up. Um, at the very least, you know, cause I did file my taxes. So at least I'll have my return coming in as well. Uh, they, uh, I do qualify for the supposed threshold that they were originally going to have, but then reading from C, uh, NBC, they're uh, going to have it for individuals earning up to seventy-five thousand per year, and their dependents, and then twenty-eight hundred for married couples earning up to one hundred and fifty thousand. So, and you know, they, yeah, again, they're also adding the adult dependents. So again, that uh, at least they're trying to you know, get as many people in, but yeah, I don't know when they're going to make the vote. Um, I know with this whole like impeachment trial, they're going to still like wait around and just be like, well, well, I guess that's done. And then just, you know, go for a recess, I guess. So like, like as though people don't need this check right now, like it's just, I don't get it. I, well, I mean, of course, it just straight incompetence, but yeah, I mean, people really need help, and these guys are just waiting around and sitting around. Um, let me read further what this CNBC article. Right, so quote: the stimulus payment phases out between seventy-five thousand and one hundred thousand in AGI for individuals, and between one hundred fifty thousand and two hundred thousand. Uh, for couples filing jointly, heads of households will get the full amount if they earn up to 112000 and it will phase out completely at 150000 Adult dependents previously, previously excluded from receiving stimulus checks are eligible for the third round under the House plan, which includes, uh, or this includes, many college students, disabled adults, and elderly Americans who are claimed on someone else's tax returns. So what that means is that these people had missed out on $1,800 and there are still people who did qualify and still didn't get paid. I'm lucky that I got paid twice, but you know, it's just like they'll do anything that they can to not give you their money. Give it's your money or our money. I should say like they'll do anything that they can to weasel out. And then they're surprised that when people will call them out and anyway, um, Right. Uh, many households will get significantly more money under this framework than they did in the first two rounds. For example, a two-parent household with an 18-year-old dependent that met the income in the, el the income eligibility requirements would have received 2400 in the first round. Now they could get 4200 The House is reportedly working on other parts of the relief package, which is expected to closely mirror the $1.9 trillion plan President Joe Biden released in January. This version of the bill will be voted on by the House Ways and Means Committee this week. So this was released February 8th. So I'm not exactly sure where they're going with that. But again, you're, it's going to take some time. They're, they're, just, they're just so slow. I, they're so slow and people are literally starving in this country. Again, it's, it's like a let them eat cake mo moment. It's just like, well, why can't you just start a business like it's that it's that same mentality like it's it's unbelievable but again i don't want to get too worked up 
I'm kind of I'm, I'm a bit mellow today. You know, this uh, cloudy, dreary, uh, you know, winter February day is kind of uh, you know got me mellowed out. So that's why I'm kind of talking a little bit low. But yeah, I don't want to get too excited. But you know, we have that at least with the income thresholds and the other proposals with the stimulus that is going to take weeks maybe a month or so to get out uh but we also have okay and I, before i go off that note i also wanted to add about the eviction moratoriums apparently they keep just pushing it back so now it's like march 31st so i, I think this is going to be a continuing trend where they're going to reach the day and they're going to realize oh fuck we can't we just got to keep pushing the day and it's like hey why don't you just like have no evictions right like you know these landlords can just fuck off and then the state owns these houses or you know like yeah it's just the solution right you know of course is communism or i don't know what else you want to say but it's just we we know how to fix it but because there's no immediate profit to whatever corporation or billionaire they're not going to do it so it's just it's unbelievable it's asinine it's just incompetence anyway so continuing so we have those things to contend with and then we also have these proposals of a fifty thousand dollar cancellation of federal student debt for each student uh, which was originally under the original plan was ten thousand but i think they got some real leverage here because the it was it has the backing of uh, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, Elizabeth Warren. So these are some pretty significant uh, back. Uh, you know, it's you know Chuck Schumer's behind it. So that means like it's going to have some real power, at least in Congress. And yeah, I mean, you know, fifty thousand dollar for some people that's like barely even half of what they owe in student debt. So. <laughs> Luckily for myself, you know, I only have uh, 40000 So who knows? Uh, it is a wild thought, but maybe they'll refund the 10000 I don't know. Definitely not. But it would be nice at least to get paid the 10000 that I... Yeah, anyway. So, yeah, we have this proposal of the 50000 debt forgiveness and the reading from CBS... Uh, they're just talking about how this uh, resolution was introduced in the press conference and has all these different backings. And they're basically saying, or I'll just read, quote, the Coalition of Progressive Democrats argue the Higher Education Act of 1965 gives the White House the authority to cancel the debt without having to use the congressional action. So the president can just do it. Biden can just do it right now. And he's not doing it. And he can do a lot of things right now, which he's going to say, well, I don't know if I have the constitutional authority. Yes, you do. So do it. And of course, he's not. He's not going to do it because he's a Republican. So, yeah, again, you know, canceling $50,000 would free up so much. Would, you know, people could actually like see the possibility of paying off their debt in their lifetime if 50000 was canceled off. Like that's how, <laughs> that's how under the water these people are. So, yeah, Warren is saying at least you know, it could cost up to $650 billion. You know, and that's nothing compared to like our military spending or, yeah, uh, just, just, you know, we can do it. But again, the Democrats, they just drag their feet and they're like, well, I don't know if, uh, yeah, 
So, yeah, they're pretty much just talking about different proposals and how this would help with economics or, you know, just cancel the whole debt, you know, and tax, you know, corporate taxes and such. So, yeah, but that's at least what I wanted to talk about with uh, basically just economic relief and our stagnation or uh, delayed relief. Because a lot of people are under the water and they're just get they're they're still drowning, and they think that the fourteen hundred that they're gonna give out is enough. Like they have, they really don't understand. And then we're gonna be right back here having this conversation of, well, you know, we gave you guys fourteen hundred. You know, maybe it should be uh, nine hundred, maybe six hundred again. Like they 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 really don't. Yeah. And so, I mean, the 100 days, of course, we have had executive actions or executive orders that have been substantial. I mean, now we're back in the climate agreement. Again, it's really just trying to overturn all the you know, damage that Trump did, uh, but the damage has just been done. And so we're just having to clean up the mess. But yeah, people are just saying like, oh, it's only been X amount of weeks. Hey, you know, stop trying to make him, you know... Do something that he could do, like literally snap his fingers. Soon enough, it's going to be, hey, it's only been six months, you know, come on. You, you honestly expect him, he's going to, you know, legalize marijuana in six months. Like So, anyway, he's going to find a way to weasel out. He's going to try to, you know, not to live up to any promises. And, you know, this is the point that a lot of people were making about, say, like, forced to vote. Like, if you don't pressure them... If you don't threaten their position, they're not going to do it. They're not your friends. So, again, there's, I will never, like, be ashamed for not voting for Biden. Like, that, I, even, you know, I understand that Joe Jorgensen is not exactly, like, a friendly socialist person. But, again, this, this whole uh, election was single issue for me on the Second Amendment. And I purely voted because she said that she would, she's in favor of abolishing the ATF, which I'm just like, okay, well, that's a pretty radical position. I'm here for it. <laughs> so, yeah, again, this was, again, this was a joke of an election. So my vote, I treated it as a joke. I'm being serious. Like, I just didn't care. But anyway, so we have that, all that different COVID stimulus relief, uh, evictions, stuff to contend with. And then we also have this news from Nevada or at least a proposed law that would allow corporations, tech companies, whatever you want to call them, uh, to form essentially their own local government. So we are literally going to have the technocratic cyberpunk feudal societies that, yeah, have been predicted for so long. I'm reading this from KCRA, so this is a bit of a local station, but they're reading, uh, they're re reporting from Carson City, and they're writing, quote, uh, planned legislation to establish new business areas in Nevada would allow technology companies to effectively form lo separate local governments. Democratic Governor Steve Sisolak announced a plan to launch so-called innovation zones in Nevada to jumpstart the state's economy by attracting technology firms, Las Vegas Review Journal reported Wednesday. 
The zones would permit companies with large amounts of land to form governments carrying the same authorities as counties, including the ability to, to impose taxes, form school districts and courts, and provide government services. The measure to further economic development with the alternative form of local government has not yet been planned. The measure to further economic development with the alternative form of local government has not yet been introduced in the legislature. The measure to further economic development with the alternative form of local government has not yet been introduced in the legislature. Sisolak pitched the concept in his State of the State address delivered January 19th. The plan would bring in new businesses at the forefront of groundbreaking technologies without the use of tax abatements or other publicly funded incentive packages that previously helped Nevada attract companies like Tesla Inc. Sisolak named Blockchain's Blockchains LLC as a company that had committed to developing a smart city in an area east of Reno after the legislation was has passed. The draft proposal said the traditional local government model is inadequate alone to provide the resources to make Nevada a leader in attracting and retaining businesses and fostering economic development in emerging technology in emerging technologies and industries. Uh, the gover- the governor's office of economic development would oversee applications for the zones, which would be limited to companies working in specific business areas, uh, including blockchain, autonomous technology, the Internet of Things, robotics, artificial intelligence, wireless, biometrics, and renewable resource technology. Zone requirements would include applicants owning at least seventy-five or owning at least 78 square miles, 202 square kilometers of undeveloped, uninhabited land within a single county, but separate from any city, town, or tax increment area. Companies would have at least $250 million in plans to invest. Companies would have at least $250 million in plans to invest an additional $1 billion in their zones over 10 years. The zones would initially operate with the oversight of their location counties, but would eventually take over county duties and become independent governmental bodies. The zones would have three member supervisor boards with the same powers as county commissioners. The businesses would maintain significant control over board membership. The governor's economic development office did not respond to questions about the zones Wednesday. So, yeah, again, right now it's a proposal, but they already got the plan to just push through and uh, build away. And yeah, I mean, we're going to see like a, a real life night city in Nevada in the middle of the desert. Um, just imagine for a moment getting pulled over like the, the Tesla police or the Google police. Just, you know, there's like some real ANCAP uh, stuff here. So well, yeah, we'll have to see. And it's going to be very interesting what kind of uh, technologies that they put there. I mean, I could literally see like uh, Chinese state level surveillance and yeah, police presence. So yeah, who knows what what it'll turn into. Um, but again, it's pretty wild that we're heading into this direction and really just cementing the neo feudal aesthetic that we have in this uh, society um, as we decline further and further. Uh, yeah, I mean, like it's pretty much no secret that this country is owned by corporations, but now the the comp the corporations are like going to physically have a government. <laughs> so that's uh, pretty interesting. So yeah, that's what's happening in Nevada. 
And uh, before I continue on, uh, just shifting away uh, really uh, to more of a, I guess like personal drama, you can call it, really more concerning uh, AOC's Instagram Live video uh, about her coming out about uh, her experiences with the Capitol riots and also with uh, just being a survivor of sexual abuse and or you know again she was more pointing towards like just the manipulation that you see with the republicans how they're trying to really like just yeah hey forget about the fact we almost tried to kill you like it yeah it's the same level of manipulation and just you know projection so yeah um it was just interesting to see her coming out like that and her being a bit uh, emotional and just you know being real for a moment i know i've kind of talked about her um i'm not like super it's not that i don't like her personally i think you know she would be a good i'm i'm pretty sure that she's a wonderful human being uh you know it's just as when it comes to politics i'm not really like just 100 percent like a celebrity like you know just fawning over every word um yeah, I certainly don't think like a celebrity, like influencer politicians and politics is going to bode well in the future because people are just going to look for looks and the aesthetic and not the actual like policy behind it. So who knows? But besides that, because I do think that she has good intentions and I do consider her at least the best ally that we got for the moment. Um, you know, again, I just wanted her to be a little more tougher when it came to the force of vote thing. But, you know, then again... I guess she just had to make a compromise and try to weasel her way, or I shouldn't say weasel, just try to work her way within this whole system. Because really, you you realize that a lot of these politicians is not necessarily that they don't want to make any bold actions. It's just that the machine is so powerful that their careers will be ruined if they move against it. So they have to be strategic and find other ways to get their you know policies and agenda through. Because I mean, it's politics, and you have to compromise. Uh, unfortunately, you're working with some pretty corrupt human beings, so you're going to have to make a lot of... Not only corrupt, but powerful. So you, you're the one who's going to have to make concessions because you just got to wait till they die and then hopefully uh, you can replace them and actually make some leverage there. But, you know, at least we got, you know, Bernie Sanders in, you know, the chairman, committee chairman uh, position with the budget. And they're still, like, having talked about uh, near a tandem. And again, you know, with some of this like minutia, with some of this minutia of, you know, specific committees and chairman positions, I haven't necessarily been keeping up with that because it's a lot to take in. But, you know, at the very least though, with AOC coming out with her stories, it's been more just, I guess, her reliving that trauma. And, you know, and then, of course, other people have come out about their trauma as well. So it's it's heartfelt. So it's you no, know, it's a humanizing moment. But then, of course, you got these conservatives who pounce on any kind of like vulnerability, any kind of like sensitivity, and they're like, "Oh, well, you see, you won't, you weren't even in the building." Uh, I don't know. There's all this stuff, and just trying to like, I guess, laugh at her for being scared like haha you almost thought you were gonna die <laughs> like like the whole um steven crowder with his tweet with the whole uh, seize the means of reproduction i'm just like like what's the joke 
Like that wasn't even funny. Like he he like it wasn't meant, and it's not meant to be funny. It's meant to be a signal to the other misogynists and chuds that, haha, woman bad or I don't know. It's just some. It's so fucking weird. Like you know, I look at my Twitter and go ahead and follow my Twitter collapse talk pod. Um, but you know, I know I post some cringe every once in a while. But at least I like I know it's cringe. Like Crowder actually thinks that 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 was like like. Fuck, I nailed it. Like, he, he actually thinks that. Like, <laughs> it's so, it's kind of sad. But then, you know, that, and this is the thing about the difference between like right wing podcasting and left wing podcasting. Cause left wing podcasting, like, you actually know what you're talking about. And people are going to dissect and just be like, well, you see, you were just ad hoc and strawman. Like, yeah. And so, with conservative, it's just like, Oh, I hate black people. Yes, yeah, all right. <laughs> so <laughs> it's just so, um, yeah. Of course, they're not saying that directly, but they're they're just they're being like, man, they're getting uppity. That so that's what it's all about. It's really just, uh, yeah. Anyway, you know, this is kind of like just drama again. You know, personal drama of people just, you know just trying to distract from the real issues and just trying to point fingers at like look at this person yeah don't look at this problem yeah so again but we we had that to deal with and who knows so we had no AOC coming out with her stories on Instagram and we also had this uh impeachment trial in you know, that's basically just been concluded, acquitted, once again, Trump. Which, again, is kind of predictable. No real surprise there. But it was nice to at least see, uh, you know, just people taking a stand and then presenting their evidence to the court. But, yeah. I'm actually curious. Did, did any Democrats vote in favor of Trump being acquitted. Hold on. So the vote was 57 to 43. Can I see like a list of who acquitted what? Yeah, I can definitely see Joe Manchin voting in favor. Hold on. Yeah. So with uh, Senators Joe Manchin of West Virginia and Angus King of Maine, who are two centrist members of the Senate Democratic Caucus, Telling CNN there needed to be an equal number of witnesses on both sides. That meant that the trial could be delayed for an indefinite period, perhaps weeks. The concern was that Trump, that the Trump team could try to call witnesses like Pelosi and put them in awkward positions. Yeah, again, I didn't really pay attention to this as much, so I'm just reading this in passing. But again, I, I just don't care. I really don't care about any of this. Uh... <laughs> I will say it was nice to see um, Delegate Stacy Plaskett of the Virgin Islands, you know, homegirl from St. Croix. So I got a shout out to her, um, you know, repping that queen energy. So this is officially a Plaskett simp zone. So don't don't come at me. <laughs> so, um, yeah. But. I, yeah, I just, I genuinely don't really care, but it, it just, it, it's just what happened, you know, 
uh, it's just the way it is. That's just the way it is. Anyway, so we have his impeachment, but then we also have Joe Biden now, you know, firmly, you know, you know he's settled in now. You know, he's, it hasn't been 100 days yet, but he's settled in and he's made some executive orders, some military orders. Uh, he rescinded the order of the trans ban in the military, which is good. And just other things, as I said, you know, back in the Paris Climate Accord. Um, yeah. But uh, we'll just look at the other different uh, orders that he's made. Let me try to go to at least you know, when he came in. So I'm reading this from the Federal Register, register.gov. So the first opening executive orders he made. Uh, so executive order, executive order 13985. Uh, advancing racial equity and support for under, underserved communities through federal government. Uh, Executive Order 13986, uh, ensuring a lawful, accurate enumeration and appointment pursuant to the decennial uh, census. Executive Order 13987, organizing and mobilizing the United States federal government to provide and unify to provide a unified and effective response to combat COVID-19 and to provide United States leadership on global health and security. Uh, so just other different like COVID measures and yeah, the order 13991, protecting the federal workforce and requiring mask wearing. Uh, further. Mm, yeah, just different things. Yeah, so 14004, enabling all qualified Americans to serve their country in uniform, which is the trans ban uh, revocation, tackling the climate crisis, 14008. So different orders, just different uh, things. And also now he's uh, signed an order, uh, 14014, uh, blocking property with respect to the situation in Burma. So he's uh, ordering sanctions uh, on Burma, which is nice. And, uh, yeah, so yeah, he's done a lot so far. Again, you know, nothing about student debt cancellation or descheduling marijuana. Again, we'll have to see. But at the very least, you know, he's overturned some of the more uh, damning orders that Trump has made. But yeah, so we can look at that, you know, at the very least with Biden, you know, making orders, but then we also have the Pentagon and um, how they're addressing supposed extremism within the ranks, which, you know, certainly has been an issue. Um, as we saw with the Capitol riot, I mean, there was ex-military people in the, the ranks and certainly, certainly there were insiders within the National Guard or the police that were, you know, delaying or, you know, just trying to like not actually be mobilized. So, yeah, I'm reading this from Reuters.com, and they're saying that the Pentagon is ordering a stand down uh, for 60 days to just, you know, examine and interview uh, officers or just to at least address the extremism issues that they've had recently. So I'm reading, quote, the U.S. military on Wednesday acknowledged it was unsure about how to address the white nationalism uh, and other. The United States on Wednesday acknowledged it was unsure how to address white nationalism and other extremism in its ranks and announced plans for military-wide stand-downs 
pausing regular activity at some point in the next 60 days to tackle the issue. Uh, the decision to hold a stand-down was made by Lloyd Austin, who made history by becoming the military's first black defense secretary after a long career rising in the ranks of the army. In his confirmation hearing, Austin underscored the need to rid the military of racists and extremists. Pentagon spokesman John Kirby and Pentagon spokesman John Kirby said Austin ordered the stand-down after a meeting with the U.S. military branch leaders who are under pressure to show progress in combating extremism after current and former military servicemen were found to have participated in the siege uh, of the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. The Pentagon has yet to define how it will deal with extremism or offer data estimating how many service members hold white nationalist ideology. The Pentagon has yet to define how it will deal with extremism or offer data estimating how many service members hold white nationalist ideologies. It also it has also not disclosed how many troops have been disciplined for extremism. We don't know how we're going to be able to get after this in a meaningful, productive, tangible way, and that is why we had that is why he had this meeting today, and that is why he certainly ordered the stand down, Kirby told reporters. It was unclear whether the announcement was meant to foreshadow any near-term concrete actions by President Joe Biden's Pentagon, or whether the stand-down was more of a symbolic, was more of a symbolic move meant to demonstrate Austin's acknowledgement of the problems and continued resolve. The Pentagon did not define whether stand-downs pausing regular activity across the U.S. military might last minutes or hours, or what commanders would do during that time to express opposition to extremism. The announcement came as Warners filed beneath the U.S. Capitol Dome to pay tribute to Brian Sicknick, the Capitol Police officer who died uh, from injuries sustained during January 6th. The assault on the building led to the second impeachment of former President Trump, uh, who spoke at a rally in his final days in office and urged supporters to go to the Capitol and fight. His impeachment trial in the Senate for inciting the, the siege is scheduled for next week and which has been acquitted. So, yeah, so they are just ordering a stand down. I can certainly see some conservative like Gina Carano type temple type like, oh, you see, this is a purge and they're coming for you now and uh, they're going to make you. This is 1984. <laughs> it's just. I yeah. Who knows how they will question people? I'm sure they already know who is a bit uh, radical on the, you know, far right net white nationalist ideologies. Um, but yeah, the military is certainly a hotbed for white nationalism. Uh, it's Yeah, I mean. So how many different like ex-military guys are training like neo-Nazi paramilitary units? Like it's yeah. So and also just not only the extremism of white nationalism, but there's like a whole bunch of gangs and like you hear reports of you know military working with the cartels and human trafficking. All like it's yeah. There's definitely corruption and criminality in the military, but right now they're going to try to address white nationalism and. Uh, I certainly see that this is going to it's going to be difficult to root out like it's unfortunately the military has just been a place for these uh, uh, far right people uh, to go and travel to different parts of the world, uh, different parts of the world and kill brown people. So, yeah, I mean, like I still distinctly remember a whole bunch of guys who are now in the military 
and they were in class talking about i can't wait to kill me some sand n-words like it's like it's a whole different level and they were just saying it out loud like like nobody was gonna say anything and nobody did because these guys were fucking insane and bullies but yeah like yeah, like there, you know, if you, if you watch the film or the miniseries, HBO miniseries, Generation Kill, like you, you see the where the roots of that like white racism, like fuck yes, kill some hajis, like that type of shit. Like it's yeah, <laughs> which you know, again, you're watching it as a movie or a show. It's just like you laugh at it because you're like these guys are fucked up, but that's yeah, that's what they that's what they. They, th- they thrive in combat and war. So, who knows? I guess, you know, there are psychos. So, e- even though they're fighting an imperialist war, but anyway, it's just, you know, the question of having to root them out. And also, how do you deal with them in civilian, ni- in civilian life with the knowledge that they have? It's, yeah, it's certainly a tough question of, you know, how do we deal with this? But... Yeah, we have that stand down and they are going to start interviewing people and we'll see how they reform and deal with extremism in the ranks. It's certainly interesting now to see the dynamic with, like, say, the army talk with different people who have been through basic and their experiences and how they're they're saying, like, well, you see, now they got rid of shark attack and, you know, now they're getting a little soft. And yeah, I don't know. It's certainly like something to have to think about. Like, if I'm drafted, what branch am I going to go into? Well, honestly, I'm probably, I probably wouldn't, I probably wouldn't make the physical requirements. And I actually kind of have, I think I have flat feet. Like my feet are a bit fucked up, so I might be able to like avoid a draft. But still, you know, a part of me says Marine Corps because they're fucking badass and crazy. But then you say, oh well, the Army at least you know it's a bit easier. I don't know. Again, it's all tough. I wouldn't last a second, but yeah. Anyway, enough with the military and the Pentagon. We'll just move on and we'll talk about the COVID coronavirus strain, uh, UK strain, and its rapid uh, growth. I mean, this is far more contagious, uh, although they are saying that the vaccine should be able to cover you know, the antibodies there. But still, uh, yeah, it's still the worst like we're in the worst case scenario and people are dying by the thousands like 9-11 levels every day and i I don't even know where the death toll is now but we're definitely going to get past half a million and it's no end in sight yeah so yeah effectively it's uh you know doubling um yeah they're just you know pointing towards this uh increase in cases and deaths and uh, yeah, I mean, we're in for a ride. And, you know, a lot of folks are, you know, around me saying, you know, well, well, you're so alone. Why don't you come around anymore? I'm like, dude, like somehow, for whatever reason, y'all keep getting sick. And y'all don't believe me when I say that we're, it's not getting better. Like, you know, it's like when people like are fucking up this much in this kind of pandemic, which honestly isn't the worst case scenario like it really tells me like what would happen if it was like a zombie apocalypse like i i don't think this they would last a second like they would certainly line up for the fema camps or whatever like so 
yeah, man, like, you know, it's not that I don't want to help out. When people aren't taking the steps to, like, really help themselves to a certain point, you just got to start looking out for your, your own preservation. You know, and, and it also speaks to, like, okay, you want me to help. I'm not in any position to help at the moment. And if, if I look out for myself, I can at least be in the position later on to help out. You know, or I guess I'm just saying it wrong. But... Yeah, I'm just dealing with a lot. <laughs> I'm dealing with a lot. But, you know, it, again, a lot of people are getting hopium about the pandemic and about the vaccine. And then you read stuff about, about this and saying, like, oh, the new strain is 35 to 45% more transmissible. You know, now they're saying double-layered mask. Like, so we're really in for the long haul with this disease. And it's going to continue to mutate, I bet. And, you know... It's going to be a continuing strain on people's mental health and their abilities to cope with just these conditions. And as I pointed earlier, I mean, people are, you know, with the, the Pennsylvania shooting, people are just on edge and they're going to continue to get these strains. And then you also have the financial pressures because there's, real, there's no real relief happening. And then we still have hyperinflation to contend with. It's, yeah. But yeah, again, I could be very wrong about this and, you know, the, the vaccine is starting to be rolled out. Uh, you know, it just, it, it, it's just fascinating to me that the Trump administration just, they completely botched it just so we would have a rough start with this new, with this new administration, which I believe is also grounds for impeachment. But, you know, we all know that, you know, we all know how that turns out. So, yeah, with that being said, you know, the UK strain is just something we have to keep an eye on. And as I pointed out, also, we just had the Super Bowl, which is a super spreader event. And we'll see how things transpire throughout the week. But again, it's just going to keep getting worse and worse and worse. And yeah, we're just going to have to watch this unfold in horror. Um, or at the very least, if you know how this is going to happen, you just got to self-isolate and just hope to not get sick. So... Yeah, so that's the UK strain. And before I wrap up with this whole general uh, domestic field, I did want to talk about at least with uh, certain like pop, or I shouldn't say pop culture, just, you know, uh, this uh, film that came out, right? The Hillbilly Elegy on Netflix, which I haven't watched. I've just been seeing like, different uh, pieces about it and reviews. And it certainly seems like one of those films of where it's like the cliche film where you got rich, Hollywood types trying to, you know, document, you know, how normal people live and, you know, the degradation, you know, oh, this is a, a community in crisis. Like, you know, this is one of those movies, but I think it's fairly well made. Or, again, I haven't seen it, so I can't give a review, but I, I would like to see it. And, you know, reviews are, you know, at least hopeful. But it's interesting to see how this memoir from the child, J.B. Vance, or he's a man now, so of his childhood, and just seeing the environment that he grew up in, and how this is just a result of generations of economic disparity, of mental health problems, alcohol, drug addiction. I mean, this is pretty much just the backdrop of the opioid crisis, right? And you know, the Rust Belt, you know, Appalachian communities in decline. Um, 
yeah, and it's just, it really speaks to how these communities, how they've been taken advantage of, taken a ride for. And then when they, you know, have nowhere to turn to, the politician comes around and say, man, yeah, you know, we had to close down. I mean, you know, not we, not that we had to close down. Um, we just hired, uh, not, not that we hired, um, it's just, you know, these damn Mexicans, they just keep driving. Like, so they do, they have the racial animus of, you know, oh, it's them. These outsiders are coming in here and we're hiring them for cheap, but they're just taking the, all the jobs. So, <laughs> yeah, it's unfortunate, you know, because if it wasn't for the white supremacy, if it wasn't for the anti-intellectualism, if it wasn't for the religious fundamentalism, like the South would be a nice place to live. I wouldn't mind living here. But we have all these things, the white supremacy, fundamentalism, anti-intellectualism. And this just doesn't seem like a place I want to stay in. Like, I don't I don't want to fucking live here. I don't want to be here. I need to escape Texas. Escape from Texas. Um, which, you know, I turn back to the Dogecoin uh, plans that I have. You know, if it pays off, like, I could actually, like, leave <laughs> and start a new life somewhere because not there's nothing for me in texas really like i just i i can't i can't stay here i'm sorry but anyway so that was interesting to see that uh movie at least the portrayal of these communities and families and in despair and um in decline or culture in decline and uh, you know it, it, it's something that i've actually it struck a chord with me because it's something that i've deeply relate to um in terms of dysfunctional families and trauma generational trauma mental health issues and addiction problems like it's something that my family is certainly struggling with and you know i look to the history of not just my family but my people and the socioeconomic conditions that give rise to a lot of the problems that we have because believe me like i could sit here all day and talk about the problems within our culture, Dominican culture, but that's for another time. And yeah, I mean, imagine that. Imagine those conditions in Hillbilly Elegy, you know, struggling with alcohol problems, uh, abuse, physical abuse, mental health problems, and you know, family dysfunctional families, all, all this stuff. And imagine that, but for 500 years, because essentially... You can consider the contact of Spaniards with native peoples of Hispaniola the start of Dominican history and culture. Uh, so yeah, so just just all that madness for 500 years, and then with my family, within a generation, we were able to escape that poverty. Because um, like I, I like I always try to hone in the fact that like literally two generations ago we were in the Stone Age. I mean, we had of course like not literally like primitive but like like as close as you can get really and within a generation my grandmother came to the united states she got lucky working with some generous people who funded my father through private school so again we only got lucky because of you know the goodwill of some very wealthy people but yeah it's just we we escaped the financial issues and the socioeconomic problems, but we still had the the mental health and dysfunction and all that all that good stuff. So 
And again, my family was, isn't nearly as dysfunctional as what Vance had to go through, but it's it's still a reflection of it and still something that I can definitely uh, relate with. So, yeah, it's it's so much that I almost, on occasion, you know, because when I think about dating and starting my own family, it's like, I'm, it's, it's scary because, like, I don't want to repeat that cycle. And it's almost, it gets to a point where, like, I might as well just not date and start a family. And that's the most surefire way to break that cycle. Um, but of course, you know, I, I I would like to start a family. Even with all this dreary collapse extinction bullshit, like, it would still be nice to have people surrounding me in my last days, you know, or something. I don't know. It, you know, it, sometimes our biology just takes over us, you know? So, yeah, would it would like to, it would be nice to have little versions of me running around. But... Yeah, anyway, I, I just hope that if I, that did happen, I would be able to, you know, create an environment for them where they can actually grow to be functional human beings that can ha maintain uh, a, you know, decent functional relationship. Because, you know, I have my, a lot of my antisocial issues because of uh, the type of uh, st instability in my upbringing. But anyway, not trying to get too deep, but. It's just the way it is. But that's what I wanted to say, at least with the domestic area. And now we're going to move into the international uh, field with the, you know, just different events around the world. And I wanted to touch up on the coup in Myanmar that was underway um the beginning of February. And yeah, this uh, military junta, you know, called out a fraudulent, quote-unquote, fraudulent election. And... Uh, have placed uh, Aung San Suu Kyi in, uh, ho under house arrest. And now we've definitely seen protests and clashes, and soon enough there's going to be riots or, of some kind. Now, again, we saw sanctions against the junta government. So, yeah, the, this is certainly um, a flashpoint. We'll see how it unfolds uh, in Southeast Asia. But, yeah, it's uh, just another... Yeah, another another blip in the collapse radar of how things will unfold. But I'm going to read from CNN about just the whole situation uh, to elaborate on it. So, quote, Myanmar's new military junta, which overturned the results of democratic elections when it seized power last Monday, has warned the public not to destroy democracy following four days of protest. In a statement on the government-run MRTV channel, the military warned that democracy can be destroyed without discipline and that people who harm the state's stability, public safety, and the rule of law could face legal action. The warning came as two people were seriously injured in the capital uh, on Tuesday after police officers allegedly shot at protesters, according to the political party of the post leader Aung San Suu Kyi. Uh, the young, a young man sustained a gunshot wound to the chest and another woman was hit in the head by a bullet that pierced a motorcycle helmet. Uh, National League for De Democracy, NLD, party spokesperson Chi To said in a Facebook post on Tuesday afternoon, To said that a doctor had confirmed the female victim was currently in critical condition and would need to be placed on a ventilator. The doctor said the wound was from a real bullet, not a rubber bullet. Kito said, uh, the police and military in Myanmar have not issued any statements regarding the protests in the country. 
On Tuesday, the government imposed new restrictions on public gatherings and instituted a curfew for major towns and cities across the country, including the capital and the largest city, Yangon. Or the capital is Nai. I can't even say it. I'm sorry. But their largest city, which is separate, is Yangon. So there's two major cities under curfew, uh, continuing, where large protests are on- ongoing. Uh, according to a new notice published by state-owned newspaper, The Global New Light of Myanmar, people are prohibited from gathering in groups of more than five, restricted from joining protests, marches on foot, or by car, and are not allowed to make public speeches in public areas. A curfew will be placed. A curfew will be in place from 8 p.m. until 4 a.m. in ma- most major cities and towns. Uh, while the notice said it, while the notice said it came into force on February 8th, it did not say when restrictions would lift. At least 27 people were arrested during protests in Mandalay, the country's second-largest city. Reuters reported Tuesday. The report said that two local media organizations confirmed the arrest, which included a journalist for the Democratic Voice Burma, who said they were detained after filming police violence against protesters. Uh, Tens of thousands of people have taken part in protests against the February 1st coup, despite a a long history of brutal crackdowns by the military and threats to use live ammunition against demonstrators. Those arrested could face prosecution under Section 144 of the Criminal Code for Unlawful Assembly. Section 144 has been used in the past as a way to stop lawful protests and and to justify violent crackdowns on mass demonstrations. So, yeah, they're having these protests, and there's a bit of movement and resistance from the population. Um, and then the UN and the United States are condemning this. So, it is interesting. Although now, whenever I see like the UN or the US condemning something like this, I'm just thinking to myself, is this because they can't control the junta or what? Because it's never really about freedom. It's usually like, okay, are these guys like helping us or are they on our team? So, I'm just curious as to where, what, uh, allegiances the Myanmar uh, junta has. Uh, I don't necessarily think that they're close to China, but who knows? Maybe they're just, they could ally together out of necessity. Who knows? I I really don't know that dynamic, but it it is interesting to see that because you you see this uh, coup attempt from the Myanmar military where the United States and the UN saying unequivocally, well, this is wrong and we're against this and we want democracy preserved but then you have in haiti which is another ongoing situation uh rapidly evolving it's also experiencing election uh, issues and coup attempts and uh, you hear crickets from the media because like the media was all over the the Myanmar coup but then you hear nothing about haiti right now which is it's in a severe crisis really and i'm reading from the nation they're pointing out, or they have the headline saying, uh, Haiti, too many presidents, too little of everything else. So there are like three claimants. You know, I'm using like Crusader King terms. There are three pretenders to the seat of the presidency. And this article is uh, fascinating because it highlights just the whole corruption of, um, just the whole just decline of Haiti and the corruption of the government. And also from the UN peacekeepers that uh, have intervened there. And just in general, just the conditions that normal people have to go through in Haiti are just horrendous. 
I mean, they have uh, severe kidnapping issues now, where just gangs are just kidnapping and blackmailing people. And also, I, I did not read this at all because they were pointing to um, just the actions of gangs and enforcement of this president uh, who's uh, named uh, Moise. In fact, you know what? Let me just read, right? So, quote, Haiti has now three presidents, or it did as of last night. Unfortunately, all of this has transpired against the backdrop of what should have been the joyous 35th anniversary of the fall of the de Vullier uh, dictatorship, a 29-year rule of terror that ended on February 7th, 1986, when the scion of the de Vullier dynasty, Jean-Claude Baby Doc de Vullier, was ousted by a combination of popular unrest, international pressure, and developing anti-authoritarian attitudes around the globe. But the 35 years since de Villiers was forced out have done little to free Haiti from its history of foreign meddling and domestic corruption. And that's without mentioning the extra added destruction wrought by several catastrophic hurricanes called into being by a changing climate, a killer cholera epidemic brought in by UN peacekeeping forces, and one hugely destructive earthquake. Let's look at what's happening now in Haiti. There's an elected president in office who has totally lost any support he ever had among the people of Haiti. Why has President Jovenel Moise, a former banana producer and auto parts, an auto parts salesman, been so roundly rejected? Because under his rule, the cost of living has risen, poverty has hardened, unemployment has grown, in a country where the cost of living is always too high for the earnings of families, where poverty is endemic, and where unemployment is the norm. Beyond that, Moise's lax and irresponsible rule has engendered a state of grotesque insecurity. Kidnappings are a way of life, a business for gangs, who kidnap and kill with impunity, as if perhaps they were a part of an unstated government policy. There are heavily armed and organized They've committed at least two large massacres in neighborhoods where opposition against Moise is strong, killing men, women, and children, and babies. That, that's not to say that on occasion a few gangsters have not been arrested. A few have been, and not all of the many gangs operating in Port-au-Prince are pro-Moise. The, the whole situation is one where you or I would not let our children out of the house or even go out ourselves if we could help it. Some kids have just not been able to go to school in the past week since many schools have closed, not because the government has been deeply concerned about the spread of COVID, but because street insecurity is too high and children are at risk. And I wanted to also point to the massacre that they're mentioning, right? Because I, I don't think I read this, which is a pretty fucking insane incident. Um, so they're calling it the Saline, La Saline Massacre, right? So... The La Saline Massacre, which occurred in Haiti on November 13th, rivals the crimes of the Duvalier dictatorship and of military regimes that seized power after Duvalier failed. 59 people, including children as young as 3 years old, were murdered in La Saline in a premeditated slaughter. Only the Jean Rebel Massacre, perpetrated in 1987 by the regime of Henri Namfi, with support of Tonton Makutis, has involved more deaths. La Saline is a poor neighborhood in Port-au-Prince, described by PBS as a place where people cook over open fires in alleyways so narrow that two people can't pass without touching shoulders. The St. John Bosco Church of Jean-Bertrand Aristide was in La Saline 
and recent protests against government corruption have found support there. It is located on the other side of a canal from the former Fort de Manche prison where the Duvilliers tortured and murdered thousands of people. La Saline also houses a commercial port with three terminals and Croix de Bossales, I can't say that, sorry, a market that sells produce from the country to restaurants, wholesalers, and supermarkets. Early press reports blame the killings on gang fighting over control of the market. Yeah, so there's a pretty insane like uh, massacre that occurred. But this, you know, apparently is a, a government-backed uh, action of these gangs and death squads. And yeah, so effectively, this is they're they're saying you know with this anniversary of the Villiers, uh, you know, ousting that they're right back where they started and. Yeah, this new president is uh, pretty corrupt and criminal. And uh, you're reading on further. He all, they also say that he basically just like has suspended the parliamentary uh, proceedings. Right. So, a uh, quote, under Moise, the two houses of the legislature have been dissolved. He has not managed to call new legislative act elections. And since January 2020, he has been ruling by decree. When mayors have reached the end of their term, Moise has simply named their successors Journalists and human rights advocates have been threatened and attacked. As former president Jean-Bertrand Aristide wrote to me right before the tumultuous weekend, in order to maintain the status quo and the system of social exclusion, Haitian elites have always rejected the democratic principle that demands that government organize free, honest, and transparent elections. So yeah, uh, unfortunately just corruption has just been a thing there, but yeah. Um, I'm going to go down because this is a pretty lengthy article, but they talk about uh, the different pretenders and the different claimants of basically Haiti right now has three governments. So back to our trifecta of Haitian presidents over the weekend, the divided opposition installed two separate presidents in two separate modest ceremonies. One is interim president Jean-Louis, another Supreme Court judge appointed to preside over the country until elections can be held and still unarrested as this goes to press though arguably no longer a judge since Moise fired him the other is Carl Heinz Charles a lawyer who was inaugurated in Cape Haitian uh, in Haiti's north and who will his supporters claim make the new seat of the Haitian government the old revolutionary palace of San Sochi uh, built by King Henry King Henry Christophe also in the north thus resurrecting one of the oldest enmities in Haiti, the competition for preeminence between Cape Haitian and Port-au-Prince, north and south. No interim is mentioned in the Charles announcement, and it has a secessionist flavor. Yeah, so there's, yeah, I, they're, they're gearing up for some craziness and unrest. And... Uh, I'm just inter interested what the international response will be. Because as I, as I said, you know, we saw with the Myanmar protests and coup that the UN and the US are condemning the military actions of the junta. But then with this whole uh, debacle with Haiti, the US is with Moise. So they're basically, you know, backing uh a criminal president. I mean, they did the same thing with Duvalier. I mean, they, they supported him. So, yeah. They have, they have their hand everywhere. Um, 
but it's just going to be interesting how things unfold and just what they're going to do. Because ultimately, they're supporting Moise because it's a ploy to further isolate Venezuela. And yeah, it's all it's all, you're going to see a lot of actions against Venezuela. I feel like tensions are going to certainly ratchet up uh, with this new administration. But anyway, uh, we 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 have this situation in Haiti, and unfortunately, with Haiti, it's effectively the Somalia of the Caribbean. And yeah, this could it could get bad. I mean, like there could be some serious piracy problems, you know, as this continues on, and. You know, especially it's close to home for myself because it's quite literally right next to my homeland. And I, you know, if things get really bad, it's going to be serious refugee problems. And, you know, Dominicans already have some serious prejudice against Haitians. I mean, like, even like, like my parents and like some of my like older, like, uh, family friends, like they have some pretty <laughs> bigoted views of Haitians, which... It's just a surprise to me because every time I've ever met a Haitian, I've treated them like a brother or sister. Like, like it's just been like, in, in fact, it's, been, it's like a huge relief because it's like, oh my, it, like, yeah, you have very similar cultures, you know, very similar type of foods and musics. Like, I mean, our cultures are directly influenced through African culture. So makes sense. But yeah, people, they get tribal and they're like, oh, I'm not black because you know, for Dominicans, black is Haitian. It's yeah, it's really messed up. But I'm just you know hoping that this will go ahead smoothly and that there won't be any kind of major unrest or violence. Because who knows if there will be any kind of intervention and the Dominicans are going to have a role in that. And I also have one of my cousins in, in the military, so it would just be yeah. I I don't know. Like, I, cause I'm going to see a very different side of my community if things do get heated and just a different, like, tribal and bigoted views that they're going to have of the Haitians. Like, oh, fuck these. Like, and of course, I'm going to have to stand aside and say, look, if we're committing crimes, I can't support it. Like, you know, so, oh, you got to support your people. It's just, yeah, it's again, I guess racial politics, ethnic conflicts, like, it, it's just. It's pointless. But anyway, you know, we'll have to see how this unfolds. But that's in Haiti. And, you know, I wanted to at least move on from there. And I have been talking about the Indian farmer protests that have been occurring. And they have been escalating. Uh, there's just been general silence from the mainstream media. And, of course, they don't want to cover one of the largest labor protests in history. And, you know, farmer protests... And yeah, and we've seen some significant action from the Indian government, from the, the police there. Um, I'm reading this at least from Amnesty International. And they are saying, no, they're basically just calling for this violent behavior to come to an end. Um, saying, quote, the government must stop crushing farmers' protests and demonizing dissenters. Uh, quote, the Indian government must immediately stop its escalating crackdown on protesters, farming leaders, and journalists amid ongoing nationwide demonstrations against three recently introduced farm laws. Amnesty International said today 
The organization also called for the immediate and unconditional release of those arrested solely for peacefully exercising their rights to freedom of expression and peacefully assemble. Uh, rather than investigating reports of violence against protesters and bringing suspected perpetrators to justice, the authorities have resorted to hindering access to protest sites, shutting down the internet, censoring social media, and using draconian laws against protesters who have been peacefully voicing their opposition to the new laws for several months now. So, reading quote, uh, we have seen an alarming escalation in the Indian authorities' targeting of anyone who dares to criticize or protest the government's repressive laws and policies, end quote, from Raja Kosia, Senior Director of Research, Advocacy and Policy at Amnesty International. And uh, are we closer or further? Um, at least eight leading journalists and politicians have been charged with sedition after reporting on the farmers' protest. They have been charged with misreporting, spreading disharmony, and inciting riots via their tweets on Republic Day. Mandeep Punya, a freelance journalist of the caravan or for the caravan, was arrested on the evening of January 30th, shortly after the caravan ran a Facebook Live session in which he reported that the ruling Bharatiya, Bharatiya Janata Party had sent activists to attack the protesting farmers, initially accused of obstructing the police. And then of violence, Mandeep Punya was detained for an initial period of 14 days without being allowed to see a lawyer, who was later granted bail. On February 1st, hundreds of Indian Twitter accounts, including those belonging to news websites, activists, and actors, were suspended for more than 12 hours after the government said users were posting content inciting violence due to their using of the hashtag FarmersProtest. Twitter reversed its decision by the evening. So yeah, they're just cracking down on this, social media crackdowns, and just they're they're really starting to now like say, oh, well, they're dissenters and they're effectively trying to like they're they're slowly trying to set the you know the stage to call them traitors and yeah. And then they're using the pretext of a small group of you know violent rioters and just cracking down them all the protesters so you know it really shows to you that we think that this is a problem here in the united states and then you see the same behavior everywhere else and you realize okay it might not exclusively be an american problem although it certainly is uh you know certainly is a bad one but this is just a this is just a general problem with state repression of police state violence and yeah and certainly it's going to get worse. And I mean, again, you, you hear nothing from any kind of media about this protest, historic levels of uh, support and just action and nothing like people like there are people who generally have no idea that this is happening. So I feel like we're just going to enter as, you know, things start to warm up in this winter dies down this summer i feel like we're going to see a huge wave of protests and demonstrations and in extent maybe riots and violence who knows who knows what's going to happen but you can already see already now these demonstrations and unrest unfolding and brewing and it's just going to keep keep getting hotter and hotter both 
metaphorically, figuratively, but also like literally, you know, with the summer. So we'll see how that affects the behavior of these people. In fact, it, I've read some theories, at least when it comes to like thermodynamics and like the dynamics of, uh, you know, social behaviors and hot environments, like, I don't know, it's, it's, it's rather interesting, and I'm sure some of y'all know what I'm talking about, but yeah, um, just seeing the, the heat, and then how people behave in that heat, and just, yeah, in general, what that's going to do as things unfold, I, yeah, it's a lot to think about, it's a lot, so that's at least happening in India, Again, underreported, massively underreported. All these issues, right? Uh, at least with the Myanmar, that got some coverage. But with Haiti, right? Underreported. You know, India protests underreported. And then also we have in Turkey as well, you have protests, student protests against the president, Erdogan. Um, and he's already like trying to label these guys, the students as terrorists and such. And this is like, oh, they're they're defi they're defiling Islam or something like that. So, yeah, we'll have to see how this unfolds as well. But I'm reading from Al Jazeera. Uh, over the last month, protests at a university overlooking the Bosphorus Bosphorus have spiraled into a challenge that Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan has compared with nationwide demonstrations that threatened his government 18 years ago or eight years ago. Student outcry against a government-appointed rector at Bogazici University, one of Turkey's most prestigious, has also spilled into the international arena, jeopardizing er Erdogan's efforts to build bridges with the new administration in Washington, D.C., and repair relations with the European Union. Erdogan has been seeking to present a reforming front to the outside world following President Joe Biden's election when in a bid to smooth over long-standing disputes between Turkey and the United States. However, police brutality and government efforts to demonize the protesters, labeling them terrorists and employing homophobic slurs, has undermined his efforts of, or has undermined his promises of judicial and democratic reform. When Erdogan's interior minister, Suleiman Soylu, branded demonstrators LGBT deviants in a tweet on Tuesday, the U.S. State Department condemned anti-LGBTQ rhetoric and voiced concern at the detention of protesters. The EU and the United Nations also condemned homophobic comments and called for demonstrators to be released. The Turkish Foreign Ministry responded by warning certain circles abroad not to intervene in a way that could provoke groups that resort to using illegal means and encourage encourages illegal acts. Erdogan has also hit out at LGBT youth after an art exhibition staged by the protesters included an image of the Kaaba, Islam's holiest site, and the LGBTQ flags. As a Muslim student, or quote, as a Muslim student, my initial reaction was that I didn't want to see that as a part of an exhibition, not because I want to limit freedom of expression, but because all students are a part of the protests, and the solidarity among us is too important to sacrifice, sacrifice for any expression, said Ines Sain a second-year history student at Bogazici, uh, but it's been framed as an attack on Muslims when there wasn't any such intention. Hundreds of protesters have been arrested at the university since January 4th, as well as at demonstrations in, sep 
in support of the students and the LGBTQ rights in cities such as Ankara, Izmir, and Bursa. Residents have demonstrated their support by banging pots and pans from their balconies every evening, a reminder of the 2013 Gezi protests across Turkey that were one of the greatest threats to Erdogan's 18-year rule. So yeah, so massive demonstrations there, youth protests, uh, you know, LGBT rights. So yeah, and, you know, Erdogan, he's uh, trying to make himself into a sultan, I guess, and you know, this just the fundamentalism starting to rear its head, and uh, yeah, I mean, making Ataturk proud, right? So, yeah, we're gonna have to see how this unfolds, but yeah, he's you know pretty much trying to say that these uh, students are traitors and terrorists, and they're gonna threaten our way of life. It, it's really interesting how you hear a lot of these MAGA people talk about Islam and Sharia law and this and that, but then if they could just talk, like. Not even say God or Allah. Well, although Allah is God. So, like, that's just, again, it's a language barrier thing. But if they could just talk in English, and, you know, the Muslim guy just never says Allah. He says God instead. And just talk about their views, they would they realize, oh, we have a lot in common, huh? <laughs> we're pretty, we're more alike than, than, we, than we thought before, you know? So... In, in all the worst ways, actually. They're, yeah, they have things in commons. Yeah. So, um, it's curious, just the response to this. And, you know, not to call out any, you know, anybody out, but I'm just curious to what uh, Hassan Piker has to say about this. I don't know if he said anything about Erdogan or uh, the Turkish uh, movements currently. Um, but, yeah. So... So just going to see how this unfolds. But Turkey is certainly, it's a NATO ally. And Turkey, Turkey has been making weird moves in Syria and weird moves against Greece. So they're questionable at best. But we need them because of that Bosphorus and you know we need that access to the Black Sea. It would be very unlikely to see Russia and Turkey to work together. But who knows, man? I mean, you got two, you know, ambitious, strong men. They could maybe work out a deal. Anything can happen, really. So, yeah, we're going to have to see what this uh, new uh, protest and how it's unfolding. But it's curious, you know, as I mentioned with Russia, you know, we saw the, these protests against students in Turkey. And we're also seeing protests among young people in Russia over the arrest of Novani and his uh, sentencing uh, to three years in jail. But I'm going to read this from Euronews. Uh, quote, Jails in the Russian capital are overcrowded after weeks of protests in support of Kremlin critic Alexei Navalny. Demonstrations have been taking place in cities across the country since Navalny was arrested on his return to Russia last month. Thousands of people have been arrested across the country as police cracked down on what they say were illegal demonstrations. In Moscow, more than 800 people are still being held in vastly overcrowded cells and facilities. A video taken by one detainee shows 28 men crammed inside a holding cell intended for eight inmates with no mattresses on the cot and a filthy pit latrine-like toilet. More than 11,000 protesters were reportedly detained across the country during two weekends of pro-Novani rallies last week, last month. And in Moscow, in St. Petersburg last week, after he was ordered to serve nearly three years in prison, 
In Moscow, jails quickly filled up as hundreds of people were sentenced by the court. Most of the detained were sent to the Sarkorovo Immigration Detention Center on the outskirts of the city. Kremlin spokesman Dmitry Peskov has acknowledged the overcrowding of the detention centers and blamed the problem on the protesters themselves. This situation wasn't provoked by law enforcement. It was provoked by participants of unauthorized rallies, said, said Peskov. Yeah, so we have that protest there in Moscow over Navalny's uh, expose over uh, Putin's corruption in his palace and you know, just the whole uh, criminal empire that they have in Russia. But yeah, so again, we, we could see this escalating further. Uh, and as I said, you know, we could see just protests, maybe a wave of protests this summer like 1968 style. <laughs> so who knows what, what could unfold in there. But that's at least the protests that I wanted to cover for now. I did, however, want to cover one uh, last thing concerning Canada and their designation of the Proud Boys as a terrorist organization. And it this comes as a result of their actions with the January 6th attack. So I'm reading from New York Times, quote, uh, Canada formally designated the Proud Boys as a terrorist group under its criminal law on Wednesday, a move that could lead to financial seizures and allow police to treat any crimes committed by members as terrorist activity. Government officials said they believe Canada is the first nation to label the Proud Boys as a terrorist entity. The events last month in Washington, they added, contributed to the move, which was already under consideration. Since 2018, we have seen an escalation an escalation towards violence in this group, Bill Blair, the public safety minister, told a news conference, adding that the Proud Boys and 12 other groups added to the list on Wednesday are all hateful and tolerant, and, as we've seen, they can be highly dangerous. An official who spoke on the condition that he not, that he not be identified said that while information gleamed after the January 6th attack on the Capitol in Washington was a contributing factor, it certainly wasn't the driving force. Uh, members of the Proud Boys, a far-right all-male organization that lauded street brawling as part of its founding idea, uh, played a prominent role in the storming of the United States Capitol. Uh, U.S. federal prosecutors investigating the violence announced their first conspiracy charges against the Proud Boys last week, accusing two members of coordinating the effort to interfere with law enforcement officers protecting Congress during the final certification of the presidential election. Since the attack, Zhang Mi Singh, the leader of the opposition New Democratic Party in Canada, has pushed Prime Minister Justin Trudeau to declare the Proud Boys a terror group. Officials said the listing was made independently of the politicians. The Proud Boys were among the 13 groups added to the government's terrorism list including three other far-right or near-Nazi organizations. The other groups added to the list are affiliated with the Islamic State and Al-Qaeda. Officials stressed that the designation were, designations were unlikely. Officials stressed that the designations were unlikely to lead to arrests in the near term. Just because you're listed doesn't mean that all of a sudden you're now going to be charged with a crime, he once said. But the official added that any crimes committed by members of the group can now be the subject of terrorism charges under criminal law. Those potential crimes include providing a terrorist group with funds or assistance, such as purchasing Proud Boys paraphernalia, 
or clothing from the group, although displaying or wearing them publicly breaks no laws. So imagine you're buying a Pepe, you know, tactical Pepe patch from the Proud Boys and you're effectively committing a, a, a grievous federal crime in the Canadian government because you're supplying terrorism. <laughs> That's funny. Um, yeah. Yeah, you can go on, we can go on further, but they're just talking about the different far-right groups that Canada has been dealing with. And this declaration is certainly, um, certainly uh, a significant step uh Although it's not like Canada's going to be drone bombing people, could you imagine that you're a terrorist in the from the in the eyes of the Canadian government and you're just sitting playing Call of Duty and a Hellfire missile just hits your hits you? Wow, man! But of course that would never happen. In fact, it would be more likely that the United States would be drone bombing Canada. Like this, it's it, yeah. Anyway, um, so that time that happened. And that designation is certainly, you know, of course, you know, the conservative and, you know, they're all just agreeing. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, what else can you say from there? But the Proud Boys certainly had a role to play in that attack. I mean, they were posting it online just unironically. Like, yeah, we're going to kill AOC. <laughs> we're going to rape her. Like, it's fucking insane. Like, yeah. So... It's crazy, but we'll have to see what this leads to and how other far-right uh, neo-Nazi groups and paramilitary groups deal with this and how Canada deals with it. Um, again, Canada is not without their own far-right issues, but it doesn't seem like it's as substantial as it is here, although you still read some pretty bad stories. And, you know, like you know, discrimin discrimination against the First Nation indigenous citizens, um, you know, remember that video a while back where this lady is on her deathbed and she's reporting the nurses just talking shit. Like, I, I, I don't even remember what they were saying, but it was just so grotesque. And she's literally dying, at least, but she's recording these people saying these things about her. And other reports of, like, these fishermen disputes between communities. So the whites are disputing with the natives. Because they're competing over fishing, yeah. So it's it's crazy that you know the it's still there, like that that uh I guess racism and tribalism and yeah. So they, I mean they so yeah they certainly have to address their own problems, but it's not here at least in the United States where we're quite literally the epicenter of white nationalists, white supremacist ideologies. So yeah, yikes. Anyway, but that's Canada in their declaration there. But we'll have to see what this administration does with the Proud Boys. If there is further action, not necessarily from the Proud Boys, but like if just one member goes off the deep end, then yeah, they could certainly designate the entire group. And it's also interesting, also, I've been reading about Enrique Terrio <laughs> saying that he was an informant for the FBI. Although he was informing on other groups. So, yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. Anyway. But that's at least what I wanted to talk about on the international field. And now we'll dive more into the natural world. And just, you know, 
climate events, ecosystems and such, environmental effects. And yeah, we're in a bit of a cold snap, at least in the United States. Um, here in Texas, uh, we've had a pretty severe, I mean, it's not even the worst, honestly. Like we're like, they, they've actually like canceled work for me on Monday. So, or maybe Tuesday. I mean, we'll see how bad it gets. So I'm basically gonna have to hunker down. But luckily I did have my winter preps in order and I have um, firewood. So if we lose power, I can definitely start a fire and keep myself warm. I got water and food. Yeah, I'm pretty set um, just to hunker down and just smoke away. I'm going to, you know, do this recording here with this show and edit. And thankfully, God willing, I could do a recording also of the uh, game playthroughs that I've been wanting to get out that I've been kind of uh, behind on. But yeah, maybe I can just do a quick recording there. So anyway, um, just, you know, hunkering in, we'll, we'll get some snow here. So it'll be nice to do a snow day. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to drive anywhere, but still, you know, at least enjoy the white snow. Uh, but we also had, so we had this cold front that went to storm, but we also had the pile up, the Fort Worth pile up, where you know, 130 cars just smashed into each other and 18 wheelers just like crushing people. I mean, six people died and there's injuries, but yeah, you know, that just really shows you how devastating uh, we get in the south over ice and snow. And I remember also that, that kind of reminds me of um, what happened in Georgia. Like it was a similar incident in Georgia where it was just the whole city was Atlanta. I mean. The whole city was just in chaos because of all the snow and ice and like, like literally like cars had exploded. <laughs> so it's just, yeah, crazy, crazy. But yeah, I believe though I have my supplies in order, so I shouldn't be able, I shouldn't be going out anywhere. And if I do have to go out, I'll probably have to make it like a trip that's walking distance. Anyway, so we'll have to see there. Something that happened in the Himalayas that yeah, is climate related because effectively what had occurred was that a glacier uh, burst. There was a. So, what, what I'm understanding is that there was melting that had occurred and there was basically a lake inside the glacier and it eventually burst and all the water that was in the lake or uh, that was yeah in the lake that was inside the glacier burst out and it caused a flash flood that effectively just wiped out entire villages although enough people were able to escape but still 150 people died uh yeah and the videos from that was pretty intense but you know again that's just another effect of the climate change and the melting glaciers there so there's that so I did want to also talk about not necessarily this uh, glacier flood, but just something that's more ecological in nature, having to deal with vitamin deficiency in animals and our marine ecosystems. And I'm reading from the Atlantic where they're showing that there is a deficit in thiamine or vitamin B1 in marine ecosystems and fish uh populations and this is also affecting the food chain because you know they released this article 
And I remember reading something, I believe also from the Atlantic some years back, about bird populations dying off because of this vitamin deficiency. And so they, they don't exactly know how humans are affecting it, but it's undoubtedly a cause of human activity, industrial activity. So reading from the Atlantic, quote, a disoriented little fish caught the attention of staff members at the Coleman National Fish Hatchery in Red Bluff, California in early January 2020. Looking down into the outdoor tanks called raceways, the facility's employees noticed that among the dark, olive-colored clouds of live fish, there were occasional silver from the undersides of tiny fry that were struggling to swim. These small fish would roll onto their side, sink to the bottom for a moment, spring back up, swim a few strokes, and then roll over again. Many were dying too. While a few hundred mortalities daily in a facility containing millions of fish is normal, something was definitely amiss. Daily mortality was in the thousands, and they didn't go down, said Brett Galeanne, a complex manager at the hatchery. Galeanne and his team had already hatched and released into the raceways between 6 and 7 million fish, about half of Coleman's annual, annual production, and the prospect of losing many or not and the prospect of losing many or most of them began to seem very real. Biologists at the California Nevada Fish Health Center, an on-site lab at the hatchery, which is located on the tributary of the Sacramento River, inspected the fish but couldn't make a diagnosis. A few samples were sent to the University of California, Davis, for more testing. Around that time, Galeanne recalls other salmon hatcheries in the state began reporting unusually high mortality rates in their fish. Whatever was afflicting Coleman's salmon was evidently impacting fish across Northern California. Short of better, short of better explanations, Galeanne and his colleagues grew concerned that a virus was sweeping through their brood. Grasping for ideas as thousands of fish expired each day, they turned to the internet where they dug up research on nutritional deficiencies in trout from the Great Lakes, as well as Atlantic salmon on the East Coast. Several decades ago, sick and dying fish in these regions had been found to be deficient in thiamine or vitamin B1, a basic building block of life critical to the functioning of cells and in converting food into energy. Encouraged by this finding, biologists at the Fish Hall Center ran a trial submerging about half of the fry in a bath of water and dissolved thiamine powder. It worked like a charm, Gillian says. After several hours, nearly, nearly all of the treated fish were behaving normally, while symptoms continued in an untreated controlled group. Coleman, as well as the other hatcheries, scaled up the treatment and applied it to more than a million fry. It did the job in the short term, but it didn't solve the underlying problem because the fish acquire thiamine by ingesting it through their food and females pass nutrients to their eggs. The troubling new conditions, the troubling new condition indicated something was amiss in the Pacific Ocean, the last place the fish eat before entering uh, fresh water to spawn. So, yeah, pretty lengthy article, but it's uh, pretty uh, insightful over uh, just this deficiency and how it's affecting the food chain, the food web, and yeah, man, like this is bad. <laughs> I mean, this is really bad. So again, like 
we're still unsure how this activity is affecting uh, B1 deficiencies, but it's certainly uh, uh, an alarm bell that needs to be uh, rung as loud as possible. Again, it's just another thing where like people read it and it, it's kind of it's just depressing where you're just like, what's the point? Like this is insurmountable, but regardless, it's just something to figure out and hopefully something something that we can resolve. But yeah, so that's with the fish there and the thiamine deficiencies. And before I wrap up with the international, or I should say, but before I wrap up with the natural segment, there's been an interesting story about Jamaica and that they're currently facing a marijuana shortage. Their farmers are beginning to struggle. So, and you know, this has to deal with a lot. Um, this has to deal with just a changing climate, uh, weather events, and. Uh, in a weird way, it also includes COVID restrictions and how that affects small businesses. Um, so, reading from the Associated Press, uh, quote, Jamaica is running low on ganja. Heavy rains followed by an extended drought, an increase in local consumptions, and a drop in the number of marijuana farmers have caused a shortage in the island's famed but largely illegal market that experts say is the worst they've seen. It's a cultural embarrassment, said Tristan Thompson. Chief Opportunity Explorer for Takaya, a consulting brokerage firm for the country's nascent legal can- cannabis industry. Jamaica, which foreigners have long associated with pot, reggae, and Rastafarians, authorized a regulated med- marijuana authorized a regulated medical marijuana industry and decriminalized small amounts of weed in 2015. People caught with two ounces or less of cannabis are Supposed to pay a small fine, he faced no arrest or criminal record. The island also allows individuals to cultivate up to five plants, and Rastafarians are legally allowed to smoke ganja for sacramental sacramental purposes. But enforcement is spotty as many tourists and locals continue to buy marijuana on the street, where it has grown more scarce and more expensive. Expensive, heavy rains during last year's hurricane season pummeled marijuana fields that were later scorched in the drought that followed, causing tens of thousands of dollars in losses, according to farmers who cultivate pot outside the legal system. It destroyed everything, said Danielle Danielle Bozra, who grows marijuana in the southwest part of Jamaica in a historical village called Akampong, founded by escaped 18th century slaves known as Maroons. Worsening the problems were strict COVID-19 measures, including a 6 p.m. curfew that meant farmers couldn't tend to their fields at night as is routine, said Kenrick Wallace, 29, who cultivates two acres, nearly a hectare, in a kampong with the help of 20 other farmers. He noted that a lack of roads forces many farmers to walk to reach the fields and then to get water from the wells and springs. Many were unable to do those chores at night due to the curfew. Wallace estimated he lost more than $18,000 in recent months and cultivated only 300 pounds compared to the average 700 to 800 pounds the group normally produces. Activists say they believe the pandemic and the loosening of Jamaica's marijuana laws has led to an increase in local consumption that has contributed to the scarcity, even if the pandemic has put a dent in the arrival of ganja-seeking tourists. 
Last year was the worst year. We've never had this amount of loss, Thompson said. It's something so laughable that cannabis is short in Jamaica. Yeah. So that's certainly uh, affecting their um, crops and their production and profits. And it's also going to affect their uh, their tourism because tourism is a lot to do with the marijuana laws or just yeah that's not necessarily stigma but just the image of rasta and marijuana you know yeah i mean i haven't been to jamaica although i am from the caribbean so i'm familiar with the culture and that way of life but yeah it would be nice to go it would be nice to check that out just to at least you know say i went but yeah it is interesting to see that because now if you try to buy off the street or you know Right. Okay, this is more in terms of legal. The legal industry is uh, facing these troubles. I mean, I guess with the marijuana, um, street drugs, you're getting all kinds of stuff. But again, you know, I, it's a Caribbean island nation, banana republic. So there's high levels of corruption with the police and such. Uh, but yeah, you know, again, I just want to at least touch up on this because this is just another effect of the climate changing and uh, extreme weather events and how that's affecting not just only food products but also uh, just other agricultural crops that we depend on so you can imagine this would affect hemp farmers cotton yeah all, all different sorts of uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure exactly what the difference between edible and other non-edible crops are but yeah, just agriculture as a whole is going to face so many different problems and that's going to have huge effects to the economy and our just access to material resources. So anyway, you know, I just want to touch up on that little story. And that is effectively what I wanted to touch up on this episode. And before I close out, I at least wanted to make a recommendations to some channels that I've seen recently. Because on this show, I'm always recommending channels that are better than me. And there's two that I've been stuck with that I've been listening to and liked a lot. So the first one is Historic Hindsight. And it's uh, effectively just a channel. They're, for the most part, they're just a Civil War buff channel. But they touch up on other different uh, subject matters. It's still it's nice to listen to them. And they, they have good, funny banter. Just going over historic moments um their first episode over the battle of the crater is like the the way that they follow the events and just the pure incompetence of the officer corps and just the whole disaster as a whole it's certainly a good listen good you know it's a it's it's about an hour but you know it's at least entertaining you know i listen to it when i'm working you know just hearing them banter and just going over history but yeah historic hindsight um Check, in, check them out there. And also on YouTube, I'm not sure if he has any other work. Um, but on YouTube, I found another channel uh, called RM Brown. And I think he's just now starting to blow up. Because he's certainly a funny guy. He's certainly funny. Uh, he does like the soundboard, uh, you know, goofs. So, yeah, it's definitely something that, uh, you know, ha- ha- having a lot of fun with a lot of sarcasm. Um He's in Texas also. It's one of those guys where, like, I like them. And I think they're funny. 
But then if they ever found out my show, they would just tear me apart. Like, look at this guy. And so, yeah, so, um, yeah, so definitely check him out there too. Um, RM Brown, but yeah. So with that being said, you know, I'm going to at least, you know, just keep working on the show and get to y'all. You know, I keep saying that I want to do like weekly reviews and weekly, uh, well, yeah, down the line, maybe I can do a review of a movie or something, but I keep making these promises of what I'm going to do with the show and the content that I can put out. I'm very limited on just uh, the hardware that I have, my setup, uh, the time working. And it's not some, and sometimes I'm just like, I'm so tired. Like, I just don't even want to research. I just want to sit down and watch YouTube. So, yeah, that's something that I have to get underway. Um, but, yeah, just working on different content and getting that out. But I just found that it's better to just release when I'm ready. You know, at the very least, you know, I'm going to put something out. I'm going to take my time to look over some things. And still, I miss a lot. Like, there's a lot of things that I miss out miss up on so yeah but you know i still appreciate y'all just sitting through and listening and you know dealing with everything i guess you know coming to this space and just hearing me rant and talk uh but yeah if you you know want to at least follow me and you know i do have my uh twitter collapse talk pod or the handle is at collapse talk pod and yeah you know, the things that I post out there, I'm just shit posting and memeing, you know, whatever. It's like, on one hand, I'm kind of like, oh, man, you know, people aren't really noticing me on the internet. But then I'm like, oh, wait, this is Twitter. I'm probably better off being ignored. So, yeah. So, if you feel like it, follow me there. I'm probably going to be far more active and, yeah, engaging. And, you know, it, like, Twitter is one of those places where I feel like a boomer. Where I'm just like, I what? Like, yeah. So... There's that. Uh, Twitter, got the YouTube. I had uh, released uh, the fan music video. I did the uh, song War from Idols and did my own little fan music video. Um, yeah, I just like doing whatever. I just, whatever I feel like putting out, I'll just put it out and then hope y'all enjoy it or, the, or not. It's really up to y'all. But, you know, I just want to do this for fun, really. Like, it just sucks because, you know, we live in this capitalist society. So everything you have to do has to be for profit. Yeah. So, you know, for this, I, it's more for fun, just for shits and giggles and really just uh, offering my views on this because you know, we're living in an age of podcasters and everybody's, uh, you know, uh, 4D chess, you know, grand strategy geopolitical mastermind now. So, yeah. Uh, anyway. With that being said, um, if I missed anything out, definitely reach out to me and let me know. I have my uh, email, collapsetuckpod at outlook.com. If you want to reach out to me there or the Patreon uh, for $1 a month, get 48-hour early access if you feel it's worth it. But yeah, other than that, I uh, hope to just hunker down with this winter storm and try not to you know, put myself on the road too much. But Outside of that, you know, just uh, chilling, big chilling. So hopefully y'all are having a good weekend and staying warm. You know, yeah, just, you know, be careful with the ice. That's all I have to say there. So, yes, yeah, so thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope to see y'all 
on the next one. Thank you.